Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us at another episode of Encounter Grace. My name is Ben Hendricks. I'm the student pastor here at Grace. And today I have the pleasure to be sitting here with one of my favorite co-hosts. <laughs> favorite what? Yeah, right. Jason McKnight. And here's what I'm I'm so excited for this one, just because today I get to interview you in something that I think hits really close to home. Hmm. And may not always be the easiest thing, but it's yeah. our political climate. And so Jason, so for me as someone who is a is a bit younger and <laughs> And frankly, just hasn't, I would say, taken part or thought about politics and elections to the, to the degree you have. I, I more or less want to ask, how do, how, do, like, how do we begin to navigate where we are? Hmm. I think the past several years has, has been marked by disunity and at least seemingly turmoil. Like It's just been an interesting and sometimes hard couple of years. I see friends on both sides of the political and economic spectrum. I've seen the right and the left just just seem like they're getting more and more yeah. disunified and pushed to the to the to the extremes. And disunity and contention in our churches and our families mm. and to be honest in ourselves. And I've also just noticed that the path forward often seems just hidden. And so in like today, what I want to kind of ask you is with all of this just being seemingly true, how did we get here Hmm. and where where in the world do we go from here? So we should probably be able to do that in four minutes. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's true. This is, this is going to be fun and it's a little bit difficult because, you know, who knows? And, and mm. you know, I don't have all the answers. I certainly can't read tea leaves and crystal balls and all that stuff. And, you know, we just kind of go... <laughs> you didn't what, learn that in seminary? What we, what we see. But, you know, I was thinking about this, as you, even as you were just talking. I'm probably one of the very few people among our listeners who's actually voted in national elections in two countries. Mm. Because I grew up in Canada and lived there till I was 26. So I voted in several elections in Canada as well. Now I've been here for 20 years and been wow. a citizen for five. So two presidential elections. International here. voter. Who knew? So, I mean, go figure. But I do remember in 11th grade in Canada in world history as uh, George H.W. Bush was being inaugurated. And my history teacher made this big deal about the peaceful transfer of power. This is what separates us from a banana republic. What separates Western democracies from dictatorships is this peaceful transfer of power. When you lose an election and your term ends, you step aside. Hmm. And, you know, we saw that Jimmy Carter and actually 92, George H.W. Bush, he stepped aside. He lost the election. When your term ends and you can't run again, two terms in the U.S., you know, Obama, Bush, Clinton, Reagan, you step aside. And this was, I mean, so back in 11th grade, this idea of peaceful transfer of power. Once again, just a few weeks ago on January 20th, we saw this play out, the peaceful transfer of power from one president, one administration to the next. But even this freedom-guarding tradition has not escaped unscathed in our year and this this five-year experiment that we've all lived through. 
So here's what I thought maybe we could do is kind of do a little post-mortem on the Trump era. And oh, it, wow. And it's not been gone that long, but I think there's a sense that a lot of us need some closure because like you, friends of mine voted Biden, voted Trump. Some of them excitedly for either one, and some of them kind of nervously or gritting their teeth or, man, it's the lesser of two evils or the evil of two lessers or all that kind of stuff. And I don't think any of us really anticipated the shenanigans that happened since November 3rd. Yeah. And I think we're kind of all left with this. A good amount of Trump voters are left wondering, was he always that crazy? And a whole bunch of Biden Biden voters are saying, Trump was always that crazy. Why didn't you get it? Yeah, there seems to be so many different understandings of who Trump is. So I think the question is, I mean, right off the bat, who who do you think Trump is? And yeah, you know, the story is interesting. Like (laughs) it's it's his background is completely unlike any president we've had before. Mm. A casino owner, a TV entertainer, real estate mogul, self-promoter, like Trump, 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 all of this, you know, twice divorced womanizer, political party switching. Was he Democrat, Republican, you know, back and And generally just a larger than life character. Hmm. Um, How else was he different and unlike any other kind of previous? Well, the tweet stuff, you know, he used that platform and overused it. And in in one sense, it allowed him to get his message out. And in another sense, we saw a lot of stuff we never wanted to see from Mm. an elected public official. His bull in a china shop demeanor in public settings. (laughs) You know, he just, and you could read about it in his book. I never read his book, The Art of the Deal, but you know, everybody talked about it. How his whole point was to keep people off balance so that Mm. he could make a better deal. Well, it may work and it may not. It got some things done and it got other things not done. Yeah. I think his conceit that he could do what no one else could do in sort of personal diplomacy with Putin and, and Kim Jong-un and Vladimir, uh, you know, and, and Xi Jinping, is his conceit that he could do what no one else could do. But then I saw his pragmatism that allowed him to do things no one else did. Yeah. Everybody said, we're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. He did it. I actually was very nervous when it happened. I thought, man, you're stoking a hornet's nest and nothing. He did something, you know, and, and the amount of... Arab nations that recognized Israel in the last six months. It's, who is this guy? I don't know. His thin skin, and yet at the same time, his ability to push forward in the face of every public mouthpiece against him. Yeah. Those are interesting things. To me, the whole thing is fascinating of the question of who is Trump. I also <laughs> think it depends on where you stand. Okay. So some see his despicable Twitter feed and say, that's the heart of the man. And others say, oh, that's just the show. That's just politics. Hmm. And some see his stand for the unborn and say, that's the heart of the man. And others would say, that's just the show. That's just politics. I honestly think the country is looking at two different people. Hmm. So for me, I don't know. I don't think he's as genuine as his supporters say, nor as evil as his detractors portray. I think, honestly, at the end of the day, he's kind of like all of us. Someone made in God's image with flaws marred by sin. Yeah. And one, I think one of the things that we could all just admit about Trump is that he was a very polarizing guy. He, mm-hmm. People, yep. it, it just pushed people to the extreme. So, yeah. you know, I think the question then that like I want to ask is I, I know so many people who are around my age can be really avidly against Trump. What, why, 
why why do some of these people hate him and mm-hmm. and how does that mark them mm-hmm. I don't think it's just your age. I okay, think yeah. I think what we've seen is is across across the spectrum. Mm, that's helpful. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're your age, but I think you know, I got plenty of <laughs> well, everyone, I, friends you know, my, age. my age. Yeah. <laughs> so why? You know, there's a lot of things to take issue with, and we've named some of them, like his base level of interacting with people, and his his uncivil lack of decorum. You know, with yeah. folks who've crossed him. I mean, I I just don't think you treat friends that way. It it just is not right. Lashing out the narcissism. You know, we can go on and on, but we don't want to. You know, I don't want to be beating up a pinata. But I'm trying to sort of. You know, there are things. However, I think there's a deeper animus by those on the national level who despise him. And my mm. take of it is this: he humiliated them. And they want to get back at him. And, and I, I'm not, I don't take that to say, and so there's this vast conspiracy and QAnon. That stuff sure. is trash. It's just awful. But they want to get back at him. When he first started to run in 2015, I think the press decided that he was just a cartoon character and you just didn't have to take him seriously. And that you should never give him the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, he is crass and boorish and he is a bit of a cartoon character. But you should always take someone seriously when they're running for office. That's probably true. <laughs> but I think they said, you know, he's not ever going to win. Let's not indulge him. Yeah. Except I think they loved the ratings. Hmm. And so there's a little bit of, wait a minute, he's, he's earning us money, but we can't like him. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it seemed to me that um, big media extended him zero goodwill, which cycled into his own narrative, his own sense that he's the center of everything, and that everyone's against me, I'll show them I'll win. And the game was afoot. When he actually beat Hillary Clinton, I think the Democrats, a large part of them, or maybe the central, you know, I, I can't speak for every elected member of Congress, but I just think this, the center core of the, of the Democrats, the, the, the core of who they are, and, and the folks on the left, I think they came unhinged. How did we lose to this cartoon character? <laughs> And how on earth could we, the press, have gotten it so wrong? Because you remember the polls. Everything yeah. was saying it was, a, it was a Hillary win. And I think that victory propelled two different things. So on the one hand, a resistance to all things Trump. And on the other hand, a resurgence mm. of progressivism. And let me explain both okay. of those. On the one hand, resistance. What we got to see over the few first years and onwards where people where you know people in office in public service in the chattering classes standing against this scourge called Trump and they're saying we're the ones that are going to defend civility and democracy and so you have lifelong civil servants working against the person they now work for you have elected officials on the democrat side counting all things invalid if Trump suggests it and everything angelic if Trump vilifies it hmm. And, and it was amazing to watch. Anyway, and then the press, I just think they lost, honestly, they lost their freedom of inquiry. They were not willing to follow leads that were right in front of them. There was real resistance to this guy called Trump who now <laughs> happened to sit in the Oval Office. Now, I say resistance. I want to say something on the side here. And this is me. Of course, the whole thing is me. I don't buy the claims that the election was stolen. So I could be wrong, and it could all come out later. I don't buy them. Because after the election, Trump did what he was supposed to do if he felt 
legitimately cheated. He's supposed to file lawsuits. That's how you settle things in this country. Mm. So the sheer number of lawsuits that he filed in several states, the fact that none of them gained any ground, in many many cases presided over by judges he appointed, and the fact that voting is a state-by-state issue. The rules of voting and the, and the protocols of voting. And even as we famously saw in Georgia, the governor and the secretary of state are both Republicans. They yeah. have no desire for the Democrats it's so helpful. to win. I just don't see enough of a conspiracy, uh, or at all a conspiracy, I don't see enough lost votes or missed votes that would overturn the election. Yeah. I can't say the whole thing was perfectly pristine and without, but you can't say that on any of them. (laughs) The point is, was there enough uh, wrong to overturn the entire election and change? I I don't know. He kept losing these lawsuits and he needed to abide by them because that's the rules of the game. You can't, you know, and I think he could have said, hey, we gave it our all and we lost and he would have won respect. Hmm. Anyway, so voter fraud, it was not on the, to my... Watching what I've seen, it just does not look like it was on the scale to have overturned the election. Yeah. However, I do see the resistance to Trump at every point over his years in office, there's no doubt. And I think another reason why there was resistance, why people had such animus, not only had he humiliated them and had the gall to win (laughs) back in 2016, but he tweaked them every time he could. He was a poor winner. It's bad enough to be a poor loser. You don't want to be a poor winner. So he'd call names at press conferences and so embarrassing. I remember when our friend was running for Congress and somebody said, you know, in a, in a public forum, what do you think about, you know, how to, and she said, I love his policies, but I would never want my sons to tweet like that. Hmm. I'm like, that's exactly it. That's right. <laughs> you know, that's exactly it. So anyway, uh, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah, <laughs> that was not that. Okay, so resistance. Uh, and he kind of he kind of tweaked folks uh, who were against him and for him at times. And no. the other the other thing it propelled was a resurgence of progressives. <laughs> so we live in a free society where you're allowed to think what you want and say what you want, and this is good. Like fight to the death for freedom of expression. Yeah. And let's hope we still have it in six months. Amen. By the way, which we'll do a podcast on that. <laughs> but. It's, I don't think progressivism is the way to run a country. I'm allowed to say it. I'm allowed to think it. But guess what? Person over here is allowed to think it is and allowed to say it is. So anyway, my sense is that in the eyes of um, more and more people, especially big media and even in the Democratic Party, this radical orange man needed an even more (laughs) radical response. That should have been the title. Man. (laughs) (laughs) I think it allowed... I I think it drove them to more radical thinking. How are we going to get rid of them? And it just gave a platform for the Bernie Mm. Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and all these folks. So again, I don't think they're on the right track as to how to run a country. They probably have a good idea here or there. In general, I just don't think it is. But you're allowed to disagree with me. That's okay. We live in a free country. That's why you don't want speed and efficiency in lawmaking. What? I think you want it to take a long time and be cumbersome mm. and like sausage making back there in the halls of Congress because it's more democratic that way. Yeah. I mean, you just don't want speed in governing. That leads to tyranny every time. I mean, I think that makes the most sense when you look back to 
really the writings of the founding fathers. Like it, it looked like there, there were intentional speed bumps along the way to make right. sure everything did take its time. Yeah, you're exactly right. So I love that. Propelled by two things, a, resist, a resistance to all things Trump, resurgence of the progressives. I, th- I just find that helpful. Uh, okay, so that's the people who hate Trump, right? Like, uh, who are not all my age, but just <laughs> kind of across the board. So on the other side are the people who liked him, mm. who can get raked through the coals, I think, a lot. It's true. Uh, because I think you're right. Like, he, he is so much of a caricature in a way, which is probably why that resurgence of the progressives have. Like, it's easy to stand against the caricature and say everyone's that, mm-hmm. who stands with him. Mm-hmm. So... Who liked him? Why did they like him? Yeah. And what does that mean for them? Yeah. Like, basically, who are Hillary's deplorables? <laughs> I mean, it's, you want to say it like that. Like, yeah, who are these? Look, there, I think folks drawn to him, several different streams, and this is just me. Like, this is yeah. just me watching and reading and looking and thinking. Um, I think on the one hand, folks left behind by globalism. So as more and more over the last 25 years, jobs move overseas, it's disorienting to people. It, mm. It's hard when you're 50, you've worked 25 years in an, in an industry, and now you've got to sort of retrain yourself. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. We believe in capitalism. Yep. I mean, I do. Yeah, you yeah, might sure. not. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, I mean, hey, you know, we, we're, not, we're, we're not living. But it leaves you out in the cold and you're looking for somewhere to belong. That's mm-hmm. my point. Okay. So I think, yeah, folks left behind my capitalism, uh, globalism. Secondly, those alienated by culture change that's been coming from the top down. Okay, explain that a little bit more. If you're, if you're sitting there and now you're being told you're wrong to think traditional marriage is the best for people and for kids and to build a society on. They're telling you you're wrong to think that. I, I mean, do you remember after Obergefell with the Supreme Court in June of 2015... And the Obama administration lit up the White House in the rainbow flag. And it was so sad because it was being a poor winner, like we all accuse Trump of. I just don't think that was wise. Because now all sorts of people are saying, I'm not allowed to believe what my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents believed and what, you know. I just think, you know, you're being told you're evil if you think biology actually matters in our day and age now by (laughs) folks from the top down. Or that a baby in the womb is a person with rights. Mm. You know, I just think folks there that are sort of alienated by the culture change that's been coming so fast, they're looking for a place and someone to say things they believe. Folks who aren't elite, (laughs) (laughs) which that's... You know, that's all of us, but, you know, and I'm not saying... So all... we are elites, right? That's <laughs> no, what... I don't think so. Oh. I don't think I'm an elite because I'm an immigrant. <laughs> Regular folks in a work-a-day job, they're just sick of being looked down by the leader class hmm. in our culture. And I don't mean the leader class, you know, the owner of the business. Sure. I mean, like, the wider culture thinking, like, when, when everything on television and on the news and whatever, you know... And all of a sudden they see this guy and he's kind of a little bit rough around the edges like them. And they've watched him all those years on The Apprentice. You're fired. You're fired. He knew how to yeah. handle Omarosa. And they're thinking, hey, here's someone who talks like me and looks like me. I think it draws them to him. I think another group of people that liked him are those who generally, uh, genuinely want to see America as great. And think it could be more than it currently is. And that's why everybody started wearing MAGA hats. Yeah. Like, I actually think MAGA as a, as a campaign slogan is brilliant, as a life philosophy is dangerous. I think it's idolatry. 
Okay. But so those are, that, that's a that's a good distinction, though. Right? Yeah, I, I don't. I, I mean, I think we want to make Jesus great. Yeah. <laughs> like, like as a Christian, yeah. you don't want to do anything that elevates anything too highly, and a blind acceptance of MAGA is. Mm-hmm. But as a campaign slogan, is genius. Yeah. You know, and it, it's just it's, it's succinct, it's short, and it and it you know, and they would always anyway. So. Here's this guy that's saying, make America great again. And I've, I've been feeling culturally out and, glo- and, you know, my job went overseas. And now I'm, you know, long haul trucking and so on and so forth. And they're just ready. And they're sick of this complicated life. Just let us live our lives. Stop mm. telling us all these mandates from on high. I just think there's all these people and they're good reasons. Like these aren't deplorables. Yeah. They're just regular people saying, wait a minute, here's a guy. Wow. He... He actually doesn't always say the right thing at the right time, because <laughs> I sure did that last last week at Christmas, you know, with, yeah. or last month. At, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like yep. they they see in this guy uh, something that they can belong to. So I don't know what's next for them, but I think that's where that desire came from. I don't know if you read "Hillbilly Elegy" oh. by the guy that came out of uh, a hillbilly culture and, you know, and then just reflects back on it. You know, he, he ends up getting into Yale and, and becoming an attorney. And, okay. and I think he's in I Silicon know. Valley. It's a fantastic book of just, here's what he went, came out in 2015. And it's like, man, I read it in 2017. I'm like, oh, that's why I get why Trump won. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's folks looking for something different. Yeah. I just found that so helpful just to kind of get a better picture of who Trump is. And then kind of the, again, the, and understand the political climate that, that that we're in. That of those who, kind of some of the people who are would would naturally be against him, and their reasons for it. Some mm-hmm. really great, and that's fine. And those who are for him, and some yeah. of those are really great, and those those are fine. I so let me ask you this because I think we do we might be in an injustice if we didn't mm-hmm. talk about it at some point. If we're talking about Trump, which is kind of the elephant in the room, January sixth, oh right, and the riot, and yeah. all that that entails. Yeah. What do you think? All right. So, you know, we talk as Christians about, I mean, there's right and wrong, and then there's wisdom choices. Yep. <laughs> there's a right and wrong choice, and then there's a wisdom choice. To me, the idea of holding a rally a mile from where the Electoral College is doing it uh, is, is ratifying the election by someone who says the election shouldn't be ratified. To hold a big rally a mile from there, that's not a wisdom choice. It may, yeah. may or may not be right or wrong. But it certainly isn't a wisdom choice. And for two months, he's been saying the election was stolen. And the smoking gun is coming, but the smoking gun has never come. And there's an, which we talked about in the yeah. lawsuits. There's enough in the innuendo. There's enough in the desire. There's enough in people's hopes wrapped up for, you know, here's the course I want the country to go because I'm feeling so alienated by cultural elites and so on and so forth. I just think it was ill-advised to hold a rally and, um, and to sort of say, hey, you know, let's go up <laughs> and then to say, let's go up and cheer on the folks who are going to stand our way. I have no idea uh, what a legal definition of incitement is. So I have no idea. But I just know this plane is unwise. It's just mm. poor judgment. You're flirting with danger. It's not leadership to me. Now, people have a mind of their own. Crowds become a mob in a heartbeat. Yep. So I'm not saying everyone went there that, that morning. I'm not even saying everyone wanted to go in the Capitol. I, I mean, all it, t- you know, it just takes one or two or a hundred yeah. out of a, of a crowd of five or 10 or 20,000. You know, it just, 
And then the whole thing gets, gets way out of control. I just yeah. have no idea how it all went, but I would say that was unwise even with how he'd been talking over the last two months. It was, it was not the best leadership. Hmm. I mean, and I'm just being as generous as I can. Yeah. And, and it, like, I don't think, I just don't think you, sh- you should have done that. And part of it is that I think the world is watching and every dictator around the world loved to see that. Hmm. I mean, I think actually every dictator around the world loved that Biden got elected. (laughs) I think they didn't want Trump and they're all happy. Maduro loves that Biden's in there. And so, you know, uh, but I also think every dictator around the world loved what happened on January 6th Hmm. because the U.S., you know, civility, peaceful transfer of power, the idea that, you know what, we're a country of laws, we're rule of laws. He, He worked the system as he should have if he thought he was cheated, but then it went down. Yeah. Bad leadership, I think. So, because I guess the next thing, because just because of, of how important leadership is, I mean, like there there was a major drop in leadership there of just how he yeah. walked people through. Again, right and wrong in some of that, but completely and totally unwise. Let's talk about just the nature of leadership, and we can do it briefly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As I think we look forward just to what's next. I think I think good leaders, great leaders, there's two sides of it, you know, yeah. just in a general uh, secular sense. Like I'm not talking church leaders, although it, it applies there, but I just think leadership principles. On the one hand, they're supposed to bring calm and hope and truth. And on the okay. other hand, they're supposed to help people grasp the opportunities before them. So you bring calm and hope and truth and you help people grasp the opportunities before them. And I think Trump did the latter, grasp the, help people grasp the opportunities, but he didn't do the former. And so, you know, we saw over the four years of Trump, mm-hmm. the economy booming, he loosened up the regulations, tax changes, unemployment at historic lows, home ownership at historic highs. The greatest way to build wealth, aka avoid poverty, is home ownership. Yeah. And what we saw is that everybody, especially those at the bottom of the income scale, were growing in these four years and pre-COVID. But what Trump was so bad at was bringing calm and hope and truth. He reveled in making himself the center of attention and keeping everyone off guard. Man. And that's just interesting. I actually don't think he lost the election on election night. I think he lost it at two different points. Hmm. In the spring with his daily COVID briefings, when he made it all about him instead of bringing calm and hope and truth. He just made it all about him. And the press hated him. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a hard situation to be in because they wouldn't trust a thing he said. But he never really offered them, you know, in the back and forth, really just head-to-head stuff. So was it chicken or the egg? I don't know. <laughs> but what I just know is that um, he did not use that opportunity to bring calm and hope and truth. I also think the second way he lost the election was that first debate where he just acted childish. And we all, in fact, we were all watching it together. We were at a pastor's conference and we were watching it and we were all like, like, why are we watching this and how can this happen? It was like that awkward moment where I just, I didn't want to watch anymore. I just looked down at my, started playing stuff on on my phone. I was like, I can't, I don't want to be a part of it. Like my my heart rate was up. (laughs) (laughs) Like, am I really watching this? Anyway, I think those two times, people were looking for a reason to vote for him. Nah, it it just, it was, it did not happen on election day or afterwards. It was that, those two things that, that enough people said, I can't handle this anymore. I mean, elections, leadership, hope, calm, truth. 
animus against someone. I'm telling you, you know, there's a lot more we could say, but here's a bit of a postmortem on this most colorful cast, <laughs> this most colorful of characters. <laughs> we, I, leaders are supposed to bring common hope and truth yeah. as well as help people grasp the opportunities. He succeeded at one, he utterly failed at the other. Um, you know, that's, yep. just, that's just what I see. All right, so, I mean, I think as, as we get kind of towards the end and we close, like, where do we go from here? Yeah. And I think, like, in my heart, like, and, and hope to find the unity that could be before us. Like, so where do we go? Yeah. Well, you, I know you have a couple of thoughts. T- tell us those super quickly because these are good. I, I had two, and, they, and they, I think they accomplished more or less the same thing. Uh, and the first one is that just the reminder that knowing history helps. Yeah. Like having a record of where of how people have moved, how politics has moved, how society in general has moved in the past, it gives us a helpful guide, I think, that we can learn from and apply to our lives today. Like we can look at past presidencies, the way that politics has just moved, and we can look at that and go, okay, this can help move us forward and help navigate us a, a, towards good things and away from bad. And I think as as people without power, like that just helps us yeah. In the way of, most importantly, tempering our emotions and our expectations. Mm-hmm. One of the beauties of looking at history, I think, is it helps just kind of make it a little smaller of what yeah. our expectations for for government may be, or just what we can expect. Yeah, so I think puts it in perspective. Yeah, great. And then, so then, secondly, is very much in that same vein is one that's far more important than looking to history, but it's. Hmm looking to the Lord. So it's drawing close uh, to the Lord. Yeah. Again, when we look to the Lord, he ultimately helps guide us literally as we look to his word. And that helps us navigate through the, 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 yep. all of the turmoil and contention and disunity that's among us in the political season and more and through COVID and all of the, the part of life. But again, it also helps us temper our emotions and our expectations for what we have before us. Hmm. You know, when we look to the Lord and we see the sin in li- like not on not in Him, but in in the world, and the sin in people, like it starts to make a little bit more sense. And yeah. maybe we don't give we want to give people credit, but maybe we don't give them as as much. Right, because God's in control. Amen. I mean, I'm so thankful God's on the throne. Amen. <laughs> And we need to remember he puts on the thrones on earth those who he wants. That's so so yeah. we trust him. We trust his goodness and his sovereignty. Look to history. Look to the Lord in prayer. I like that. That's helpful as yep. we kind of move forward and say, Lord, where's the hope? Well, Ben, very fun to talk together. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Thank you all for joining us today. Listen, like and subscribe, comment and share. We'd love to hear from you. We haven't said everything that should be said, but we're beginning to think it all through together. So... Thanks for joining us. Join us again next time, and blessings. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.